0: But I wanted to love my mother. This is Serial Killing, a podcast. Happy Halloween, murder fam. Yes, we have made it to October 31st. Halloween is my most beloved and favorite holiday. And who better to cover on this podcast slash video than the king of Halloween, Michael Myers. The story I'm about to tell you is mostly canon, but probably not entirely. It's just a fictional story of a boy and his, let's say, love-hate relationship with his sister. Now, Michael Myers is known as The Shape. He killed his first victim at six years old, and he was diagnosed with selective mutism, meaning he... Stopped Speaking, Schizoaffective Disorder, and Antisocial Personality Disorder. Michael Audrey Myers was born on October 19, 1957, in Haddonfield, Illinois. His parents were Ron and Edith Myers. Ron and Edith had had their first child, Judith, in 1947 in the town of Russellville, Illinois, where they were both originally from. Shortly after Judith was born is when they moved to Haddonfield. It is not known as to why there is a 10-year difference between Judith and Michael. They then had their last daughter that they named Cynthia in 1961. Now, As a very young child, Michael began having nightmares about a disfigured Celtic teenage boy named Enda and a druid princess named Deidre. Enda butchered and murdered Deidre as well as her lover because she had rejected him. The king, Deidre's father, ordered his own shaman to curse Enda's soul to walk the earth for eternity reliving his crimes. This is important because Michael's great-grandfather suffered from the same nightmares before he shot and killed two people at a Halloween harvest dance in the 1890s. But, by all accounts, Michael's childhood was normal. There was no trauma, no abuse, no neglect, no head injuries, nothing. Nothing out of the ordinary at all. However, his mother did begin to voice concerns about young Michael's apparent antisocial personality. So Edith was observing behaviors such as repeated violations of social rules, defiance of authority, violating the rights of others, lying, theft, and reckless disregard for self and others. And in the real world, this is absolutely observable in children as young as three and four years old. And his mother wasn't the only one noticing these things. Judith, his older sister, had also begun to notice just how rude Michael had become when he was about four to five years old. He would just burst into her room without knocking after she had asked him not to do that. He would get her diary and draw what she described as these horrific faces on most of the pages. He would also hurt himself in some way and then turn around and blame it on her. So of course she would be the one to get into trouble. But mostly what bothered Judith was that her brother would often just stare at her with a completely blank face. Of course, she would shirk her duties of watching him to, you know, go make out with a boyfriend. Once, Michael actually interrupted Judith and her boyfriend's makeout session by presenting her with a dead rabbit. Michael himself was completely covered in its blood. She didn't tell her parents about it because she knew she'd get in trouble for not having been watching her little brother in the first place. Now, once Michael turned six years old, he stated that he began to hear voices and again was having these bizarre nightmares. After this, he suddenly stopped all verbal communication, though no cause could be determined. He did show affection to his little sister, Cynthia, though. On Halloween, October 31, 1963, Michael Myers and his family got up as they always did to get ready for the day. Michael's mother helped him into his clown costume because his school was having a contest for who had the best Halloween costume. It was reported that his school day was average and uneventful. When Michael returned home, he played with his baby sister while waiting to be able to go trick-or-treating with another group of kids. So, leaving 6-year-old Michael and little 2-year-old Cynthia with 16-year-old Judith to babysit, his parents left to go to the movies to see Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. So, When it was time, Michael set out to go trick-or-treating with the other kids and they eventually wound up back at Michael's house. He knocked on the door and Judith answered. She cheerfully handed each child some candy as Michael noticed that her boyfriend was on the couch. The boyfriend's behavior indicated that they had just been, let's say, intimate and Michael was furious. Judith then reminded Michael that, after trick-or-treating, he was to go to the neighbor's house across the street, only he didn't respond to her. Of course, he was basically nonverbal, but he gave no indication that he had heard her at all. She said his name over and over, and he didn't respond. He was solely focused on that boyfriend. After a while, he left the neighbor's house and Michael silently let himself into the house as Judith's boyfriend left and went into the kitchen. Michael grabbed a large kitchen knife and he went upstairs to find Judith. He found her naked, sitting in front of her vanity in her room, brushing her hair. He then stabbed her to death. Now after killing Judith, Michael walked back downstairs while still holding that bloody knife. His toddler sister Cynthia was innocently sleeping upstairs. He continued to walk out the front door, down the walkway, just as his parents got home from the movie. They instantly knew something was very wrong as they got out of their car. They approached him and removed his clown mask. And saw that there was no emotion on his face. His father quickly ran up to the house and up the stairs to check on his daughters only to find Judith naked and dead on the floor. The parents called the police and paramedics tried desperately to save her but Judith was already gone. So, the crime scene photos were analyzed, and it soon became apparent that a child had murdered the teen. After conducting interviews, it was determined that Michael was indeed the murderer and, you know, his fingerprints were on the knife. So, Michael was taken to Smith's Grove Sanitarium, where he would become the patient of psychiatrist Dr. Sam Loomis who has been said to be the same Sam Loomis who fended off Norman Bates. After Judith's death and Michael being admitted to a mental institution, Edith sank into a deep depression. Yet she and Michael's father would go visit him as often as they could. During one trip, they got into a serious car accident where Dawn and Edith did not survive, but Cynthia did. With no close family, she was adopted by a local couple, Mr. and Mrs. Strode, who promptly changed her name from Cynthia to Lori. Not much is known about the couple, but there was nothing negative said. So Dr. Loomis, Michael's doctor, stated that he was told before he initially began working with Michael that there was, quote, nothing left, no reason, no conscience, No understanding in even the most rudimentary sense of life and death, of good or evil, right or wrong. After meeting Michael, Dr. Loomis stated, quote, I met this six-year-old child with this blank, pale, emotionless face and the blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. Unquote. Michael spent the next 15 years barely moving his body and never speaking a word. Dr. Loomis stated, quote, Michael Myers is the most dangerous patient I have ever observed. He is covering up. This catatonia is a conscious act. There is an instinctive force within him. He's waiting, unquote. He then went on to say, quote, I spent eight years trying to reach him and then another seven trying to keep him locked up because I realized that what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil, Unquote. So October 30th, 1978, the now 21-year-old Michael Myers, having been in the asylum for 15 years, decided to act. He destroyed his room, carving the word sister on the back of his door and somehow escaped. He curiously also let the other patients out as well. Just after, Dr. Loomis and Nurse Chambers arrived at the asylum and noticed all the patients having a walk about the building. Dr. Loomis ran into the building to see if Michael was still contained within and Michael used this opportunity to attack the nurse, take the car, and leave. As he drove across Illinois, being able to drive rather effectively, even though he had never driven a vehicle before, Michael stopped and murdered a truck driver, apparently just for his coveralls. He then continued to Haddonfield to return to his childhood home. Now, Dr. Loomis knew exactly where Michael was going and attempted to catch up with him. Dr. Loomis called ahead to the Haddonfield Sheriff's Office and warned them that Michael was there and reminded them of just how dangerous he is. And now remember, Lori had been adopted, her records sealed for her own protection. She was now 17, the same age as Judith, when Michael murdered her. The next day, on October 31st, 1978, Michael Myers arrived at his childhood home. The house was in a dilapidated state and had a real estate sign in the yard showing, quote, Strode Realty. Michael could hear voices in the distance, so he decided to follow and he immediately recognized his sister, who was walking with her friends. Lori also noticed the strange man with a mask watching her, but continued to get ready to babysit a young boy that evening. Earlier, Michael had broken into a hardware store and stole knives, rope, and his Halloween mask. Michael then watched Lori and her friend from the shadows and waited. A bit later that same day, one of Lori's friends, who was also babysitting at a house across the street, got into her car to go pick up her boyfriend and Michael, who had been hiding in the back seat of the car, sat up and slit her throat and then carried her body back into the house. So after Michael murdered Lori's friend, another friend and her boyfriend showed up to the house across the street from Lori. The couple had sex, Tisk tisk. Then the boyfriend went downstairs where he found Michael hiding in the pantry. Michael grabbed his throat. He lifted him up off the ground, then stabbed him through his chest, thus literally pinning his body to the wall above the floor. Michael took a moment to analyze his kill, then put a sheet over himself walked away and found the girlfriend who thought it was her boyfriend. Michael strangled her with a phone cord that she was using to call Lori, then propped all three dead bodies up in the bedroom. Now, Lori was confused by this strange call and she decided to go across the street to investigate. There, she found the dead bodies of her friends along with Judith's headstone, which had been stolen from the local graveyard. Michael then, seemingly out of nowhere, reached out and slashed Lori's shoulder, thus making her fall down the stairs. She shot up. She ran back across the road with Michael slowly following behind her, stalking Lori back to her house. She hid in a closet. She was terrified and then watched as Michael crashed through the closet doors and slashed at her. She was forced to stab him with a coat hanger and the knife he had been using to murder her friends with just to stop him. Just when she thought she had stopped him, he rose again to attack her and she managed to pull his mask off and see his surprised face. But... Dr. Loomis burst into the room and shot Michael six times, throwing him back through a window and he fell off the balcony down to the ground. When Dr. Loomis went outside and looked for Michael's body, well, he had vanished. So Lori went on to the hospital to have her shoulder seen about and Michael tracked her there where he killed staff members while looking for her. Dr. Loomis went to the hospital to try to protect Lori and shot Michael seven more times, yet Michael kept coming. Dr. Loomis gave Lori the gun and Michael stabbed Dr. Loomis. Clinging to life, Loomis opened an oxygen tank valve and as Lori fled, Loomis lit a lighter, engulfing the room in fire. Michael was instantly covered in flames and fell to the ground. At this point, Michael Myers had killed 15 people. But the story doesn't stop there. So 40 years after Michael Myers had murdered 15 people in Haddonfield in an attempt to murder his younger sister, Lori, he had been caught and put in Smith's Grove Rehabilitation Hospital. Some people went to the asylum to interview Michael for their true crime podcast before he was to be transferred to a new hospital. Now, after attempting to get him to speak, they decided to poke him, to provoke him and show him his old mask, but he did not respond. He did not speak. Disappointed, the group then went to Lori's house without notifying her. Now, Lori's house was heavily guarded. She was armed. She had developed PTSD after her first encounter with Michael and became an alcoholic to numb the terror of the thought of Michael coming back to kill her. So symptoms of PTSD are agitation, irritability, hostility, hypervigilance, self-destructive behaviors, social isolation, Severe anxiety, insomnia, nightmares, and so on. That night, the transport bus that was taking Michael to the new facility crashed, enabling Michael to escape. The next morning, Michael catches up to the podcasters, murders them, and then gets his mask back and then drives to Haddonfield. On October 31, 2018, Lori tried to warn her daughter, who she hadn't had a close relationship with anyway, that Michael Myers had escaped, but Karen, her daughter, blew her off. Lori's granddaughter, Allison, found out her boyfriend had cheated on her and had left this Halloween party. So just after, Michael began killing people in town but had to retreat when Lori and Deputy Hawkins, who had arrested Michael in 1978, opened fire on him. Lori talked her daughter and her daughter's husband into coming to her house where they would be better protected. Allison saw Michael while she was out but she was rescued by Deputy Hawkins and Michael's doctor by hitting him with the officer's car. But you see, Michael's doctor was overcome with the need to know what was motivating Michael all of these years and the doctor killed Hawkins and kidnapped Allison to take back to Lori's house. However, Michael regained consciousness predictably from being hit and killed his doctor as Allison fled into the woods. Michael made it to Lori's impressively fortified house and killed her daughter's husband. Karen escaped to the underground bunker that her mother had built in the basement. Lori began to try to kill Michael as he was breaking into the house but was unsuccessful. Her granddaughter, Allison, got into the basement with her mother as Lori entered as well. Michael found them, but Lori and Karen trapped him in the basement, then set it on fire. All three girls escaped by hitchhiking, Allison holding Michael's knife. The basement was burning, but Michael was nowhere to be seen. At the very end, this breathing could be heard indicating that he might not have died and word around the campfire is there is going to be at least one more movie so michael myers is one of my most beloved horror movie villains his neutral expression on his mask's face which is actually from a mold of william shatner's face it's eerie in and of itself and it seems that no matter how fast you run Michael can walk faster, much like another horror movie fave, Jason Voorhees. His silence is terrifying. His dedication to his sister is actually kind of impressive. Michael is described as the personification of evil. He is an unstoppable man with a knife who kills, just because. We have some level of understanding as to why he killed Judith, but Why the need to kill Lori? He had liked her as an infant and a toddler. But for real, let's explore some of his diagnoses. Okay, He was diagnosed with selective mutism, which is a complex childhood anxiety disorder characterized by a child's inability to speak and communicate effectively in select social settings, but usually they are able to speak once they are out of those situations. More than 90% of children with selective mutism also have social phobia or social anxiety. This disorder is quite debilitating and painful to the child. These children actually have a fear of speaking and of social interactions. The majority of children with this condition have a genetic predisposition to anxiety. They have inherited a tendency to be anxious from one or more family members. Often these children show signs of severe anxiety such as separation anxiety, frequent tantrums and crying, moodiness, inflexibility, sleep problems, and extreme shyness. And while we don't have any information about either of his parents suffering with anything like this, we do know his great-grandfather had sleep disturbances and wound up shooting and killing several people, so there's that. Then we have Schizoaffective Disorder. This can often look like beliefs that ordinary events have special or personal meaning delusions, thought disorders, racing thoughts, thoughts of suicide, or a false belief of superiority. They often suffer with anxiety, euphoria, hopelessness, limited range of emotions, loss of interest, or pleasure in activities, or mood swings. We also see depression, hallucinations, paranoia, psychosis, hearing voices, and grandiosity. People with this disorder often socially isolate. They are impulsive, restless, or have sudden increases in energy. And finally, he was diagnosed with antisocial personality disorder. They experience deceitfulness, hostility, irresponsibility, manipulativeness, risk-taking behaviors, aggression, impulsivity, irritability, or lack of restraint. They tend to lie and break laws and have a lack of regard for their own safety or the safety of others. So looking at Michael's behavior, we see that his diagnosis could very well be correct. And it would appear that most of this is highly inheritable. So it would be believable that he inherited this from his great grandfather's genetics. Another source states Michael suffered from conversion disorder. Now, this is a disorder where a person experiences blindness, paralysis, or other symptoms affecting the nervous system that cannot be explained solely by a physical illness or injury and often manifest suddenly, after a period of emotional or physical distress or psychological conflict. I mean, perhaps... The same source indicated that he also likely suffered from voyeurism and autism. Maybe. Thanks for listening.